Welcome to The Author Show, where we feature new authors and books, from fiction to self-help and everything in between. You'll find it all at theauthorshow.com. That's theauthorshow.com. And now, let the show begin. Today's author is not new to our program, and she returns to us with another title, The Narcissist. Welcome to The Author Show. I'm Danielle Hampson, and this author is no other than UK author Anne Wedgwood, who will join me shortly. But before I turn to her, remember that selected interviews on The Author Show are archived on our website, as well as on major podcasting platforms like Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, Spotify, and many more. And our app name on all those platforms is simply The Author's Show. Welcome back to The Author Show, Anne. Thank you, Danielle. It's lovely to be here. The Narcissist, your book title, that is the third novel in a series. How different is it compared to the two which you previously brought to us? And, and how would you summarize it? Well, um, it's like the others in that it's not told from the point of view of a detective. It have, they share a detective, but she's in the background. Um, and it's different from the others in that the narrator is far more of an innocent. In my other books, uh, the first narrator was a murderer. We knew that from the outset. And in the second book, the narrator was a would-be murderer who'd set out to kill someone. But in this book, my narrator finds a dead body, but she's got nothing to do with the, with the death, with the murder itself. So that's how it's different. Now, all three books in this series have one thing in common, a one-word title. What's the thought behind that? It started by accident, Danielle. Um, the first book went through several titles that were rejected in the end by me, I hasten to add. And when the botanist stuck, when it came to writing the next book, having had hours of tortured hours of coming up with The Botanist, I knew straight away that this book should be called The Soloist. And after that, I just felt I had no option but to have another single word title with an ist at the end. So I was stuck with it by then. <laughs> well, <laughs> it may turn out to be a very good idea. One never knows. And the synopsis mentions the discovery of a famous actress, Vanessa dead from a gunshot wound in a small town. What motivated you to choose this particular setting for the story and how does it contribute to the overall atmosphere of the novel? Well, the town of Beverly is a thread through all of my books. That's something else they do all have in common. And unlike some authors, I've not created a, a, a fictional place. They're all set in Beverly and they're all set in real places so that if uh, readers come and visit me in Beverly, they'll be able to see all the places that are in the books. This one's set in the theatre, which um, I love that we, we've got close connections with the theatre. We've got friends who work there. Our children have acted there. I've put on a presentation there. And it seemed a good place for a very dramatic start to a novel with the death of an actress. So, and who do you see as your ideal reader? I think somebody who likes Agatha Christie, who likes cosy crime, who perhaps likes a cosy-ish story, but that's got a little bit more meat in it, that's not just entirely lighthearted. There are some fairly serious themes in it by the time you've finished. So um, I generally wouldn't recommend it for anyone under the age of 18. But from 18 upwards, I think anyone can definitely enjoy it if they're into that sort of Agatha Christie type novel. Right. Well, now, of course, without giving away too much, can you elaborate on the complexities of the plot and, and how various characters in the small town are intertwined 
with Vanessa's death. Of course, yes. Well, Billy, our young protagonist who finds Vanessa, is a young actress who's been mentored a little bit by Vanessa, who's actually living next door to her in a rather grand house, although Billy's is much smaller and overcrowded. And that's like Beverly. The houses are all mixed up. And it soon becomes apparent that it's more than likely that someone in Billy's family, immediate family, or, of course, Vanessa's husband, has something to do with the death. Now, Billy lives in a multi-generational household. There's her and her brother, there's her parents, her aunt, her grandmother all live there squashed up together. So the dynamics between the different family members, which of course are changing with the pressure that suspicion of murder brings, are very much part of the novel and conversations between them, tensions coming out, are very important in the telling of the story. Now, would you delve into the character development in the novel and how these relationships play a crucial role in the narrative? Oh, that's quite a, a, a big question, Danielle. Um, <laughs> Sorry, but you know, it's All always right. interesting to try to understand how the characters are actually being developed in yeah. the head of a writer. No, I like it. Billy is a fairly straightforward character in many ways, but she doesn't have a straightforward family. She lives with her father, who's a widower, and her stepmother, Emma, who she's very fond of. Emma's been a, a very much a second mother to Billy, and they almost have a big sister-little sister relationship. And in developing those relationships, I really enjoyed that because there weren't originally tensions there, but then by the time you get through the book, they've changed. I'm really sorry, Danielle. I've actually called her Emma, and she's called Ellie. Emma's a character in my other book. <laughs> I shouldn't use the same initial, should I? So Billy and her stepmother, Ellie, have a very close relationship, but she ends up having to suspect her of things, and equally her father as well, which is, is really difficult and stressful. And Billy spends a lot of time on the phone to her boyfriend, Jay, um, pouring out her heart, rather, and um, looking for reassurance from him that everything's going to be okay. So then how did you go about building suspense throughout the novel, and what techniques did you use to keep readers engaged until the very end? Uh, well, um, I hate to dispel any sense of mystery, but I do really plan my novels really, really carefully. So I pull up a big chart and each chapter is there. And into each chapter, I make sure that something happens that makes the reader want to know what's going to happen next. So a suggestion of tension between people, a hint that something's not quite right, that someone said something but done another. And each chapter feeds the feeds the reader a little bit more of that story to make sure that they'll want to pick it up again and go for the next chapter, or hopefully not put it down at all. <laughs> and how did you navigate the balance between suspense and character? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I think... It, very important to me is dialogue. I, I love writing dialogue. I always have to go back and, and edit my books and put in more description because I'm very bad at doing that. And I like being able to sort of explain what somebody's feeling without them saying it. So just a hint in the wording they use or the tone of their voice. And, and some of it happens through very mundane events. You know, there are lots of cups of tea and, and lunches in this book, but which feel like, you know, unexciting moments. But actually what's being said and discussed while they're happening is really, really important. So you mentioned already that you plan your novels very carefully. But did you have a specific method for planning the plot twists and revealing secrets? Or did still the novel have a chance to organically develop? 
It was a bit of both, actually, yes. I mean, I did sort of lay the trails. When I wrote my first novel, I ended up going back and having to write things in, thinking, oh, I need to have a hint of that. I need to plant a hint. I like the reader to be able to read the denouement at the end and think, oh, yes, and there was that in the very first chapter that hinted at that. It's much better to do that in a planned way than to have to go and play catch-up. But at the same time, I did get to the middle of the book and think about one character, oh, gosh, um, I don't think she'd do that. <laughs> that's, not, that's really not going to wash. <laughs> I'm going to have to do something about this. But I find it much easier. I know some authors um, just sit down and write a book and it, it flows. Um, but I do find it easier to adapt a plan rather than to make let the whole thing go as it, as it evolves. And interestingly, one of the very final points in the last scene Somebody who read the book said, oh, now I see why you made that happen at the beginning. And it isn't at all why I made that happen at the beginning. It just evolved from that character and what they were like. That gave me the tool to make the final scene work. Now, I asked you before about the balance between suspense and character. But how do you approach balancing the cozy element with the gritty aspect in your writing? And what challenges did this present during the creation of The Narcissist? Oh, that is a good one. I think I set out to write crime novels, but actually I feel like I ended up writing equally books about families and about the dynamics. And those are never entirely pretty, are they? Um, you'll often find out that somebody is harboring a resentment against someone or somebody may be jealous of somebody but not saying it. There are all sorts of unspoken things in people's lives. And what I did before I started the book was really delve into the characters that were going to be in play and think about what, the, not just as, you know, there they are drinking cups of tea, but what are their real desires? What are their hidden secrets? What are the things that they're not telling people? And those things that are very seldom fully stated, unless people get very upset. But they enabled me to develop those characters and give them a voice that had more depth to it, because I knew their, their hidden secrets. And just letting them sort of trickle out a little bit, I think, gives the novel its depth, particularly in the interactions between the characters. So now how about we take a little look inside the book? Will you share with us an excerpt? I will. <laughs> um, I'll read a bit from the beginning. I always think with a, with a, a crime book, you need to start at the beginning. Otherwise, it doesn't really make sense. So um, this is literally the first page. Um, I'm going to read you, well, the first two and a bit pages, if that's all right. Here we go. She's dead. There's none of the rubbish you see in films about thinking she might be asleep. People don't take afternoon naps slumped all over their dressing room chairs with huge bullet holes in their heads. I sniff the air, thinking there'll be a smell of gunpowder or cordite. That's what makes the smell, isn't it? It should smell like bonfire night, right? But it doesn't. I'm hit by the stench of eggs, with something else underneath, a flowery trace of perfume which seems familiar. I can't think about it now, my brain's frozen. I always wondered what it would be like to find a dead body, and now I know. My heart's dropped into my stomach. I'm shivering while I feel the dampness of sweat creeping into the thin fabric of my dress, and I think I'm going to fall down, so I look for something to grab. Not the chair. It's full of dead body. It's a tiny room with just a clothes rack and a dressing table, so I have to slide down the door and crouch on the floor. I don't feel faint exactly, but I put my head between my knees anyway, just for a minute. I'm not supposed to be here and I have to get out, just as soon as I can stand. I need to get some air in my lungs. 
There's a posh fan whirring quietly in the corner, but it's fresh air I need. It's hard to take deep breaths when you're crouched over and your head's upside down, so I make myself straighten up, holding onto the doorknob in case my legs give way again. Looking at her doesn't help, so I shut my eyes, count to 20, and take the breaths first. Okay, that's a bit better. Now what? I have to tell someone. Alert the authorities, isn't that what they say? I turn round, my hand on the doorknob, ready to rush out into the corridor to find someone to tell, and never mind that I wasn't supposed to be there. No, Billy, wait, you can't. You know what happens to people who report crimes. They become suspects. And from what I've seen on the telly, it's all too easy for suspects to get searched. I can't risk that happening, not with those pills lurking in the bottom of my bag. Why on earth did I let Vanessa persuade me to sell them to her? It felt cool at the time, hanging out with a famous actress, sharing my stash with her. But they were never even my pills to sell. And now look where it's got me. I've been a total idiot, but it's too late now. I'll just have to leave the way I came without anyone knowing. And thank you for that excerpt. Now, were there any challenges in crafting the conclusion? And how did you ensure that it lived up to the expectations set throughout the story? Oh, yeah, the conclusion is always one of the hardest bits. You know, I know if I want the criminal to be found, but actually making it happen in a credible way is tricky. I did actually write most of the conclusion before uh, when I got about halfway through the book, I thought I need to know where I'm going, where the end point is. I needed to have that ready. So I did. But actually, after I had good advice once that said, after your murderer is revealed, wrap it up quick. You know, that's what the reader's reading to find out who is the murderer. And once they're revealed, there's not a great deal of motivation for the reader to carry on. So don't, you know, go on at length about what the aftermath. But I felt it did need an aftermath. And in a way, it was a challenge. But by then, I was totally in Billy's head. And I felt able to write as her in her head about the aftermath. And I didn't want it to be lighthearted. I felt there needed to be some serious element to that. It's not nice being part of a murder. And I thought it should be recognized. Now, presuming there are works in progress, will you continue exploring the cozy crime genre? Or do you have plans to venture into different literary territories? <laughs> no, it's cozy crime is my genre, I think. I, I love to read more literary novels, but I think my style is more suited to crime. And I do like the plotting, the working out of how something happened and making it uh, just about plausible and finding the threads through a book and planting clues and red herrings. And um, I do enjoy that process. Yeah. So how can readers discover additional information about you and your book and where can it be purchased? Ah, well, all the answers are on my website. It's very easy to remember. It's literally annwedgwood.com. Just don't put an extra E in the middle of Wedgwood. There's only one at the beginning of it. annwedgwood.com. And it's got more about me, about Beverly, where the stories are set. And it's got details about where you can get the book from online or from your local independent bookshop. They'll order it in for you. Uh, or, of course, you can come to Beverly and buy one in our very own independent bookshop here. <laughs> That's a very good idea indeed. And is there anything else, by the way, that you would like readers to know about you or your book that we did not cover? Um, no, I think you've done a grand job, Danielle. 
a really grand job. I, I, I think the thing that marks my books out from a lot of other cosy crime is the fact that none of them are told from the point of view of the police, which uh, gives them a very different slant. There is a common thread of the same detective, but they're all very much in the heads of other people involved. And they're all female. They're all strong female characters, which I didn't deliberately set out to create, but I'm rather pleased that I did. Well, your dedication to your craft, Anne, is truly admirable. And I look forward to exploring more of your work in the future. So will you come back again when yet another book is published? Because I know you're not going to stop right here. <laughs> I would be delighted to, Danielle. Thank you so much. It's been lovely to Yes, thank you, Anne. And I hope this book review I've found will inspire you to get Anne's book. Quote, this is the first book by Anne Wedgwood I have read. It won't be the last. I am so pleased to find someone following the tradition of good storytelling in a crime novel, which is entirely character driven rather than plot. End quote. The Narcissist is the title of the book by author Anne Wedgwood. Very easy to get it, so go out there, buy it today, and when done reading, do remember to leave a review, as those are very important to authors and very much appreciated. And please share this interview with your friends, so that they too have the opportunity to discover our guest and her work. Remember also that The Author Show may be accessed at any time at theauthorshow.com, and selected interviews can also be found on major platforms like Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Spotify, SoundCloud, and many more. And whether you are an author who would like to be featured or a reader in search for new books to read, The Author Show is a great place to start. I'm Danielle Hampson. Thank you for listening. Until next time, with another book and another author. Thanks for listening to The Author Show. Find out more about authors and their work at theauthorsshow.com. TheAuthorsShow.com. Tune in next time to another great author on The Author Show.